And we are back on the bat around uh, on this Saturday morning. And joining us now, uh, a little bit later than I thought, but it's my apologies, is Matt Kremnitzer, who is doing some very interesting baseball analytics writing for PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com. Matt, many thanks for coming on with us. Hey, no problem. Glad to be here. Uh, you're on with yours truly, Stan the Fan, and Craig Heist. We're broadcasting from the Live Casino Hotel Studios. We'll remind you of that. Uh, not you personally, but our audience out there. Uh, Matt, I've, I looked at your piece the other day. Uh, it somehow got past me. Uh, June 19th, you released a piece on Mike Mussina, sort of an appreciation of him and his going into the Hall of Fame, which is tomorrow. Uh, one of the, the lines in it, that caught me was right in the first paragraph. You said it shouldn't have taken him this long. Your thoughts on why it did take him so long? Because to me, Mike was a first ballot Hall of Famer. Yeah, I, I thought the same thing. Um, I don't know if, if it's because he didn't get to 300 wins. I don't know if it's because he never won a Cy Young. Um, those are two huge things that, that you know uh, they look at when they're uh, trying to vote. Um, but uh, for whatever reason, he always seemed a little bit underappreciated. I don't know if it was because he wasn't overpowering, but you know, when you dig into the numbers a little bit, um, his numbers are, are really good. And uh, of his era, he's one of the best pitchers. You know, I, I and this is not meant to denigrate Tom Glavin, but I look at Glavin, whose war was 80.7, Mussina's was 82.8, and remember that Glavin pitched 22 years, Mussina 18. Look at their winning percentage, and Glavin pitched ninety percent of it, or eighty percent of his career with a great Atlanta Braves team. Had a six hundred winning percentage. Mike Mussina pitched the first half of his career with a team which I'm sure probably had a uh, under five hundred record. Yet his winning percentage was six thirty eight throughout his career. His WHIP was one point nineteen to Glavin's one thirty one, and he struck out over two hundred batters more in, what, 900 less innings? Uh, why was Glavin uh, received so well a first ballot Hall of Famer and Mike had to work? I guess it's a different way of asking the same question. Yeah, uh, I guess just being on those Braves teams around Maddox and Smoltz uh, elevates him a little bit. Uh, I don't know if it was because, like you said, he did stick around more and accumulate, uh, you know, maybe not the strikeouts, but I, I believe he has more wins than Messina. Um He's got, 30, he's, got 30, seems... he's got 35 more wins over four more years. Yeah. Okay, so he does have three or five. Uh, I, I don't know if it's a counting stat thing, um, but I, you know, I don't have a good argument for uh, why Messina doesn't get uh, you know similar credit to, to Glavin. Um, that's that's a, it's a good point. I don't know why uh, Messina gets underappreciated. I don't know why it took six years for him to get into the Hall of Fame. Well, I think part of the reason is some of what you said. Never. A 300-game winner, never a Cy Young Award winner, took him till his last year to finally win 20 games. All of that, from a national perspective, is is taken into consideration. Uh, obviously, not fairly, in my opinion, but that was one of the things that that did occur. Go back with him with the Orioles from 90, late 91, until. I don't know, 96 or so, and count up the amount of times he left a game with the lead that the bullpen gave away. And you you may have your 
30 wins that you need there to get to 300. I mean, I think the, the number was over 50. So from that standpoint, uh, he was unfairly treated in that regard. I, I, think, I think guys that we cover normally and see on a daily basis, we know what they're capable of. We know what they did. And that gets lost a lot of times. Uh, on on the national guys who vote. Now I will say this: there's, yeah, there's no. Do you have a question for Matt? Well, I'm just, well. He asks. You know, he said he thinks that may be. And here's the thing, Matt. I want to know analytically when it looked like when he first goes on the ballot, he gets 20 percent, and then from there, I don't know, went to 24, 25, maybe, and then it started to gradually go up. How much of that was due to analytics and people just looking back over his career and saying, "Hey, wait a minute," you know, this guy, this guy renders uh, a good pretty good con- consideration for the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I, I, I would guess a significant amount. I mean, it, we're in an era now where people understand that you know maybe not having a high win total really matters. It's not his fault that he doesn't have more wins if, if he's you know, leaving with a lead or if he's pitching well and his team's not doing a good enough job of getting the lead or if, if guys are blowing the game for him. You know, that's not really his fault. It's more of how he pitched when he was in the game. And uh, in terms of the analytics part, um, he is a darling uh, among, you know, among a lot of uh, sabermetrically inclined uh, baseball fans. Um, you know, his ability to avoid hard contact, uh, his ability to limit walks, uh, just, you know, when you break down his numbers across the board, um, he doesn't have those wins. He never won a Cy Young, but he was a really good pitcher for, you know, pretty much every season of his career. Well, the six, and the uh, six, that matters. The 638 winning percentage uh, pretty much right. tells the story there. I'm watching the game last night up in the press lounge because a number of us went up out of the press box to get cooled get off a little bit. right? Yeah. And Palmer makes a great statement to Gary Thorne about, he said, uh, I'm not going to Cooperstown this weekend. It's one of the very few times I don't. Uh, he says, but, uh, you know, he's bringing up the Orioles because they showed a graphic on TV about the Oriole, former Orioles going in, uh, Messina, Harold Baines, Lee Smith. And he said, you know, I talked to all three of them this week. He says, and, uh, you know, I was talking to Moose, uh, you know, about, uh, you know, I wasn't here when he threw out the first pitch on that Sunday. But then when I was talking to him, I said, what was your spin rate on that uh, on that pitch to the plate? And Moose rolled his eyes and said, "Don't get me started." And he says, "Look, it boils down to one thing: can you get people can, out? Can you get people out? Yeah. Can they hit your curveball? You know that kind of thing." And really, when you boil it down in its simplest form, that's kind of really what it's all about. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, if, if you're playing the game, you don't have to to be someone who uh, you know looks at a lot of those things closer. Even guys now. Uh, you know, maybe they don't want to watch a lot of video. They don't want to know what the stats are on certain things. But, you know, as the Oros are kind of learning now, there are players who want to know that kind of stuff. Um, those things matter, and they can really help, you know, some of the guys on the fringe maybe reach that next level. But in terms of Messina, I mean, he was always some someone who he had the stuff. He didn't have, like, overpowering stuff, but he had pinpoint control. He, uh, I think Alex Rodriguez kind of referred to him as a poker player. He could never really read yeah. him. Um, he was someone who was always ahead of what the batter was doing. 
Um, so, you know, maybe it's a little bit unfair to maybe compare him to someone who, who you know, maybe needs to know the spin rate data uh, to take things to that next level. But in terms of Messina, I mean, he's one of the all-time greats. He, he didn't need to know that stuff, and, and that's perfectly fine. Well, and Mike used to say it all the time to me. He says, once it leaves my hand, it's out of my control. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he goes in tomorrow, but uh, Oriole baseball moves on. Uh, we just got word from one of our interns that Adlai Rutschman has made his pre- pro debut today playing for the Sarasota Gulf Coast League team. His first two at-bats, he's lined out and flied deep to left field. Have you been able to ascertain what his college numbers really mean? Because it's pretty staggering to me that he's already ranked as high as, I think, the number seven uh, best prospect in all of baseball. I mean, there, there's no sugarcoating that uh, his college numbers are fantastic. I mean, he had a, a tremendous sophomore season and was even better as a junior. And then people didn't know if that was going to be possible with everyone avoiding him, uh, not wanting to throw him, uh, you know, because they knew how good he was. They didn't want to give him a bunch of pitches to hit. But, you know, he walked away more, still hit for tons of power. Uh, even if he wasn't a catcher, he would still be a probably uh, a really good first base prospect and maybe even an elite first base prospect. That's how good his bat is. Uh, it, it also says a lot that the Orioles think he's already an elite catcher, that they just want to uh, they don't want to overwork him that way and kind of ease him in. I think he's DHing today, and maybe he'll yep. get some time at first base, but it, it will at least DH. So, um, you know, I, I think the sky is the limit. It's, it's awesome that he's already a top-10 prospect. Uh, hopefully he's in Baltimore in a couple years, and there's no reason to think that he won't be, uh, you know, one of the game's best players, hopefully, at, at some point. Matt, are are you saying that of the top three kids, and what, who's the first baseman that went to the White Sox? I forget his name. Uh, uh, Vaughn. Vaughn. I think it's Vaughn. But uh, And then you get the uh, Witt Jr., the shortstop that went to Kansas City. Was this a clear number one pick to you? Was it an easy pick in your estimation? To take Rutschman? It was to me. Um, I think the year before, Witt was in the conversation. And, you know, it, it's it's hard to, uh, you know, not take the shortstop when you, you think maybe that's, you know, one of the guys you want to have, like an up-the-middle player. And I know that Rutschman is, uh, you know, up-the-middle player as well, but catchers are a little bit different category. Um, but I think, you know, seeing him repeat and even, you know, do, do an even better job in his junior season – um, it's it's not surprising that he was the number one pick. I think pretty much across the board and, and all of the mock drafts, he was the number one pick. So I guess the the thing that it really only came down to was, you know, do you want to take a catcher? Um, and they did. And it, it seems like he's a, a really good player as long as he stays healthy. You know, I don't see any reason why he, he won't be in Baltimore in a couple of years and performing well. Matt, uh, one of the most exciting things that's taking place in the Orioles' rebuild is the fact that now under Mike Elias and Sigmadol, the organization has been has given those the leadership on the baseball side the ability to go and uh, unfettered start to to work on signing international players. Do you understand? Is that just old fashioned scouting, finding those kids, or are there analytics at some of the showcase events down there? where they've got StatCast or whatever, TrackMan, uh, that, that measures things? Are there measurables on these kids? I believe that they are using TrackMan data, but I, I'm sure it's a combination of both. Um, I, I don't know how, how advanced things are uh, when it comes to their international scouting and, and what exactly they're looking for, but I do know they are collecting data. Um, so I'm sure it's a combination of both, and you know, it's, it's a, a big part is just that they're willing to throw that money around now. 
um, they're willing to take a chance on a lot of these guys and bring them in. And even in, you know, in the case of the Castro trade, they're willing to, uh, they, they have identified some of these guys that they want to bring in in trades and, you know, they're not shying away, you know, they're 17 year old guys who knows what they're going to do, but they're not shying away from bringing in these guys who, you know, they may have high ceilings and, uh, you know, they're at the beginning stages of the rebuild. This is going to take at least a few years. So there's time for these guys to, to develop. And if, if, you know, one of the two guys that they, you know, one of any of the guys they brought in really turns into an elite player, then it was worth it. Got two quick questions for you before we let you go. Uh, everybody's excited about Ryan Mountcastle. And I see the power down there at Norfolk, 17 home runs. But I see an on-base percentage of 321, and I see 91 punch-outs to 13 walks. Is that alarming to you? I wouldn't say alarming, but it is it is something that you notice. And it may also be the reason, besides that Chris Davis is still around, that he's not in Baltimore yet. Yeah. Um, you would love to see that on base percentage up. You would love to see him walking more. It it doesn't see it doesn't seem like there's any any question about his power. Um, it's also helpful that uh, AAA is using the, the major league ball this year, which seems to uh, be flying out <laughs> and at you know a pretty steady, <laughs> a pretty Justin uh, Verlander. Justin Verlander right. had yeah, some exactly. thoughts on that too. Yeah. Yeah, but um, I don't know if it's alarming, but I would say, you know, it's something in the back of your mind that he may be someone who hits for a lot of power, but maybe he's not going to be on base a bunch. But, you know, maybe he has that next level in him, and I don't, I, I can't imagine he'll get promoted this year, but maybe that's something he'll work on uh, the rest of this season, maybe the beginning of next year before he comes up. Yeah, but is, is the Orioles his... have to figure out what they're going to do with Davis and also Mancini. So that, those are two big question marks. Is his age, Mountcastle's age, a predictor, or does it give you some hope? I, mean, I think he's a little young for the league he's in right now. Yeah, it's still hopeful. There, there's no reason to you know uh, give up on him or anything, um, but it's definitely something that you keep an eye on. All right, last question. I uh, just wonder, I, I've been a big proponent the last couple of years, and I don't have an analytical uh leg to stand on so to speak i'm a big proponent of the electronically called balls and strikes it's debuted now in the uh, independent league the atlantic league your thoughts on that Uh, i don't know enough about uh, electronic called balls and strikes um honestly uh i'm okay with the system the way it is right now but that's definitely something i'd have to read more up on all right um it might be something that happens in the future. And I think at the end of the day, the most important thing is to get things as accurate as possible. Um, but that, yeah, that's a good question. All right. And if you saw Aaron Boone the other night, yeah. you know, that was the biggest, <laughs> right. ar- the biggest <laughs> argument in favor of uh, electronic yeah. umpiring. Yeah, I agree right. with that. Hey, Matt, really enjoying reading your stuff in press box. We know you worked for the athletic for a long time and, uh, or for a while and you've done some stuff locally. We're really happy to have you on board. All right. I appreciate that. Thank you for having me on. Thank you, Matt. All right.